Hello and welcome to the I Am Woman Project, where every week we have deep thought-provoking and interesting conversations with thought leaders, change instigators, rule breakers and creative minds who think differently, sparking creativity and inspiration. Our special guests on our show cover a variety of topics just for you, and they share their personal stories to inspire, motivate and empower you, our listener. The I Am Woman podcast is produced for your enjoyment and show notes are found at www.iamwomanproject.com.au. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favourite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at I Am Woman Project and Facebook. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get into the show. Today we have the creative author, Georgina Penny, all the way from Scotland. I'm going to have to say it with a Scottish accent. Georgina Penny first discovered romance novels when she was 11 years old and has been a fan of the genre ever since then. It took her another 18 years to finally sit in front of a keyboard and get something down on a page, but that's okay because she was busy doing other things. And some of those things included living in a ridiculous number of towns and cities in Australia before relocating overseas to Saudi Arabia, Bahrain and currently in Scotland. Today she lives with her wonderful husband Tony in a cosy steading in the Scottish countryside. When she's not swearing at her characters and trying to cram them into her plot, she can be found Trapezing over fields, gazing at hairy coos and imagining buff medieval Scotsmen in kilts who have access to shower facilities and deodorant, leaving behind every bramble hedge. So I hope you are sitting back with a hot cup of tea. Tune in to this inspirational woman. Hello, we have Georgina Penny, all the way from Scotland, and it's bright and early. Uh, I don't even know how early is it in the morning? It's eight o'clock in the morning over here. <laughs> so, uh, trying to wake up, it's pitch black outside. Okay, and it's seven o'clock here in Melbourne, Australia. So we are worlds apart, and you were mentioning there's a bit of a storm coming through. There is a major storm blowing in. I think we've even got some snow coming through horizontally outside. So if you get any interference noise, that's what's happening. That's exciting. I love snow. I have to say that was the when I went back um, the many back in the nineties. I think nineteen ninety one. I did go to Scotland and it was beautiful. But it snowed in Scotland, so that's one of my fondest memories. It is beautiful. It, it actually, every time I walk outside here, it's sort of like a postcard. It's just marvelous. It is, isn't it? So, Georgina, for our listeners, would you like to um, tell us a little bit about Georgie, Georgina Penny? Okay. Uh, well, that's that would take about five hours. So I'll summarize. Um, I'm a world traveler. Um, I've lived in over thirty places. Um, I write books, but it's my books are a part of who I am. So uh, I mainly write romance and all of my, my novels. Uh, I've only just realized recently are fish out of water stories. And that's because I'm very much a fish out of water. I've lived in um, 
a ridiculous number of places in Australia. And then I've lived in Saudi Arabia, the, through the Middle East, um, and most, oh, and Borneo. I was there for five years. And then most recently here in Scotland. So, um, yeah, I, I sort of am someone who's been around the, the traps a lot, I guess you could say. And so you travel the world writing? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, and it's, yeah, I, I, I've i sort of fallen into it. It wasn't something that I decided I wanted to do as a little girl. I didn't go overseas from Australia until I was 20, 24, 25. And I was brought up a very, very working class, I guess you could say bogan. Um, I'm good, authentic bogan stock. And I never thought that going overseas would happen. But then suddenly my life took a V sort of turn, went down one leg of trousers instead of the other, and I ended up here. And what's your favorite place uh, that you've traveled that thus far, the most inspiring? Oh, oh, that's so hard. Um, <laughs> uh, as far as sheer electric current feeling like your world has changed completely, it would have to be Saudi Arabia, um, definitely, 100%. Wow. And why, if you don't mind asking, what is it about Saudi Arabia that you find so wonderful? Uh, uh, Saudi, well, I don't know if wonderful is the word, but it was was being a complete foreigner. So uh, in Saudi, culturally, the culture is just so vastly different. And when, when you're in a vastly different culture, it makes you question everything about your own culture and who you are, and because there's nothing, nothing in common. And it wasn't just the the Saudis and and Islamic culture. I've got a lot of Muslim friends, and and I knew what I was getting into as far as you know, conservative Sharia Islam. What got me was we were in compounds with uh, largely Southern Americans, and when I say Southern, I mean the Deep South, you know, Tennessee, Alabama, in in the U.S. And their culture is vastly different from Australian culture. So on all sides, um, I guess I was just confronted with not fitting in in the most starkest way I've ever had it, and I've I've always not fit in to a degree. And it really it was it was one of the most profound things because I had to really look at myself and go, am I cool with who I am even if I don't fit in here? And am I cool with going forward like this? It, it got rid of a lot of you know negative patterns and self bad talk and things because it, it it forced me to look in the mirror and go, yeah, I'm not too bad. So <laughs> that's that's I think that was the main thing with Saudi. Mm, and it is. I've been to Abu Dhabi and it's definitely a very different culture, very different. I think that opened my eyes. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi is a, a different kettle of fish, but certainly, certainly. Um, it, it's just, I think any culture that's just a bit different from from your own will just do that wonderful thing that travel can do for you and and uh, give, you, give you a mirror to yourself. Mm. And so with your writing, what inspires you to write? People. I love people. Um I, I'm the person who's sitting on the plane watching what everyone's doing. I love public transport. I love watching how people interact, how people talk. Um, all of my friends say I'm the person that the weird stuff happens to. 
but I'm not. I'm just the person who's looking for it and notices it. So <laughs> I just I find so much humor and, and so much fun in just putting different people together or seeing different people interact. So I guess that's the main inspiration, really. So when you're saying weird, give us some examples, please. I've got I've got pictures in my mind now. I'm curious. Oh, oh goodness. Um, I have so many and I'm trying to think of ones that are respectable for you. Um, <laughs> uh, what's the, what's the most recent one? Um, the most recent one. So we, we did Christmas, um, in a country house sort of hotel here in Scotland. So it's not really a common thing in Australia because of course, you know, we've got that nice warm sun at home, but here in Scotland, um, people tend to hole up in places. So we were in this um, little family-run hotel in the middle of the Scottish Highlands. There was nothing else around. Nothing was open because it was Christmas. And we were basically stranded in this place, um, but I'm guessing the hotel wouldn't want to use that word, uh, with uh, 14 different couples who were all spending Christmas together. And this one couple turned up, and I don't know if you've seen the show Keeping Up Appearances. No, it's on ABC every now and then in Australia. Well, this lady was um, she was a wonderful piece of work. She was a hyacinth bucket for anyone who's seen Keeping Up Appearances. She walked into the the hotel and um, immediately announced the brand of her handbag, and she was an elderly lady. And then she announced that she was ill and she was far too ill to possibly talk to anybody. And then she sat down and proceeded to talk to everybody. And she was allergic to everything, absolutely everything. But she ate absolutely everything when no one was looking. And she had this wonderfully hempecked husband. And I found her delightful. Everyone else was running away. And I was just sitting there watching her going, you are marvelous. You were just such an interesting character. And... Um, while we were there, I, I was commenting to a few of the other people. I just not not in a mean way, but just saying, "Did you see that wonderful performance last night?" Because she declared she could only eat one mushroom for dinner. This is a Christmas dinner, and no one else noticed because they were blocking her out and thinking, "Well, I want to have my Christmas, so I'm not going to notice what's going on at the next table." Whereas I'm the person watching this lady demand a single mushroom cooked just like a Christmas goose for her Christmas dinner. So that's probably the tamest thing I have for you. <laughs> oh, I think that's the creative eye that you have. And I think for me, I would have been intrigued myself. Oh, she was wonderful. But everyone's, I mean, and it, it, I, if, if you're a creative person, the, the great thing about that is there is no bad situation in an odd way. You can be in the worst situation and then you're thinking, oh, gee, this will make a good conflict for a book. Mm. Oh, wow oh, I can't wait to get to the end of this and then I can write about it. <laughs> so that's amazing. And it is. It's always the meaning you give any situation. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah it's the perspective you bring to it. Yeah. Absolutely. So how did you get into writing? Because you were saying like it's not something that you that you just kind of fell into it. How did you actually get started? What what was that turning point for you? Um. Uh, well, I was at the time I was doing a PhD on the oil and gas industry and peak oil. And um, so I'd, I've always been someone who notices things and, and loves loves uh, reading. Of course, I've, I've you know, if you could see my house right now, it's wall to wall paperback books. I can't give up paperback yet. And um, but I was doing this PhD 
And I got to Saudi Arabia and I thought it'd be a great idea. My husband's in the oil industry, so it was actually my idea to go to Saudi Arabia. And it's interesting the number of people that assumed it would be his idea and he dragged me there, but he certainly didn't. I think I dragged him there. And and when I got there, I found out that all of the information in the West about Saudi Arabian oil reserves and things were incorrect and that my PhD was based on a fallacy. So then I had uh, a sort of moment where I, I, I couldn't really report on what the truth was because I was getting the true information from my husband who had signed a confidentiality agreement with the company he was working with. And so I had an ethical moment where I could have handed in a PhD based on false information or I could reevaluate, reevaluate and either start from scratch or look for something else to do with my life as opposed to the last you know, almost decade of working towards something. And it could have been an absolute disaster, but what happened was I I think I just rolled with it and said, well, what else am I good at and what can I do? And anyone who's done an extended period of research or anything like a PhD or even if you've done any extended writing project, once you've done it, you realize, oh, you know, a word count's not that scary. A hundred thousand words, which is your average novel, you know, 90 to a hundred thousand words, isn't that scary. So I sat down and started to write a book and, and it proved a lot easier and a lot more fun than being an academic. And I didn't stop. Oh, that's amazing. And so with the traveling piece, was, was it instigated by yourself or where your husband was working? Um, well, we sort of work as a team, so we can pretty much go anywhere in the world. And I sort of started started us off and said, well, let's go to the craziest place um, that we can think of. And insane crazy, just the most most unusual. And then after that, we sort of just look at the map and say, where would we like to live? And we see if it works for both of us. So what's that drive for you that you go, okay, this is where we're going to go next. What is it? What are you looking for? Um, well, you know, I've never really questioned that. <laughs> it's, it's new adventures, new experiences. Uh, we went to Borneo uh, to live in Brunei because um, I really feel comfortable in Southeast Asia. Uh, my husband and I really love it. We, we love the culture, the various cultures, and it was a wonderful hub. We usually, I think we usually look for a hub that like somewhere where we can bounce off and explore a region. So at the moment we're in Scotland, so it's brilliant. We can just shoot across the channel and explore Europe. Um, Brunei was wonderful for that, for Asia, and Saudi Arabia was brilliant for um, the Middle East. Mm, yeah, of course. So I'm curious, what makes you jump out of bed in the mornings? <laughs> um Oh, inspiration and ambition. I'm ridiculously ambitious and I'm a workaholic. So uh, a combination of both of those. Okay, and because I'm a workaholic too. So when you're talking ambition, what is that, the end in mind? What's that end goal for you? Well, I'm a writer. So uh, what I want to see is a really stable um, income on a long-term basis. So when you're a writer or I guess any creative, you're, you're looking at um, uh, an income that comes randomly. You might have a really great year and then the next year you might not so much, just the way that um, 
I don't even want to go into to the Byzantine sort of accounting system in publishing houses and things and, and how all that works. But I'm I'm looking for a, a stable income. And if you're a writer, that means working your backside off and getting the right number of books out, you know, uh, per year and things like that. So that that's a lot of work. Wow. And how many books, if you don't mind me asking, what is the right number of books per year? It depends on your genre <laughs> and it depends on how well you're doing. If you, if, well, it, if, if anyone out there is looking at um, traditional publishing, so getting published with a big house, you're probably only ever going to get one book out a year, but you want a solid book out a year, the best book you can possibly do. If you're looking at self-publishing or going with a small, smaller e-publisher, I don't know, you're probably looking at two to three um, shorter books a year. But there's a bit of a trap with writers uh, with that side of things and, and I've certainly fallen into it at times where you can work yourself into the ground and you, you don't recharge enough and mm. end up losing the inspiration and the joy out of, out of the job, I guess, which mm. is what a lot of people face in various industries. So since you are, I consider you an amazing writer, but also it's something you do as oh, part you. of your, your day-to-day living. Um, what is the difference between self-publishing and having a, a publisher looking after your books? It, I'd probably have a different answer for any day you ask me, um, but quite honestly, I, I, I think um, it's an ego thing. It's got nothing to do in some ways with the quality of work. Certainly working with a traditional publisher, so I'm published with Pinger and Random House, has taught me an awful lot just about quality. So they, um, so it, in a way, I think it's it's worth going for a traditional publisher if you're looking at getting published to learn the the standard of quality that that a publishing house requires. But in self publishing, if you can maintain that level of quality, um, there's not really a, there's not really a difference. Um, you're working for yourself and the responsibilities on yourself. If you've got a traditional publisher, you've got someone to blame if things don't go right, but it still doesn't get you anywhere. <laughs> right. And, and, that's, that's a vague answer. I'm so sorry. That's oh, such no. a vague answer. But <laughs> It's something we talk about all the time. We have quite a lot of writers um, uh, and we quite often talk about the difference between do we go through for self-publishing or do we go and find a publisher to expose our book so it's one of those conversations and it's interesting to hear other people's insights and I guess what they've gone through yeah I think the most important thing I mean I'm, I've been at this game now for for six years and I think the most important thing is whatever you decide to do do it a hundred percent so I don't think it's that important which route like there's all this deliberation and it can take up so much of an author's time should I do this should I do that should I do that is that a bad thing and there's so much advice out there and the best advice I, I can give is just make sure the quality of what you're doing is the best. Don't don't be scared of accepting criticism. Hire professional editors and go at it 100%, whichever way. So if you're going for traditional publishing, go to all of the conferences, meet all the editors, do all the networking before you try and get your deal instead of just cold selling out, sending out your book. And if you're going uh, self-publishing, then you've you've got to put all the work in with the reviewers. You've got to do all the networking there. It's it's all the same thing. Mm. <laughs> it's just, and it's the same amount of work. It's just deciding where you want to go, and it doesn't have to be either all either. Mm. So true. So during your whole journey, what is the greatest lesson that you've ever learned? 
Um, the, the biggest one for me, I think, is is just don't assume anything. So always ask questions. I think so many misconceptions and so much stress can come from just making assumptions about how people feel or about, for example, like we were just talking about publishing, making assumptions about how things work. Um, and the best thing in, in any interaction or any decision is to just ask as many questions as possible and then and then make the info, you know, the decision from there. Mm, I know assumptions is a, a good showstopper, I think. So I what, think so. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that too, when we're looking at business, what we like to always uh, go through too is looking at some of the pain points you go through as through your journey, what would be some of those biggest pain points in your business? Um, the, the biggest one for a writer, I think is self doubt. So, um, sitting down and doing, uh, you know, for example, when I'm in full flow, like my word count a day is 2,500 words. That's not every single day for people out there because writers like to brag about that. And then you go, is that every day of the year? It's not, but, um, but it's the self doubt. It's actually sitting down. I think all writers block is, um, or all, um, you know, people being too scared to send their manuscript out to publishers or to talk to people or to introduce themselves to people is thinking they're not worth it. Mm. And while they're worrying that, you know, and I've certainly felt this, and while worrying you're not worth it, someone else who's given themselves a damn good pep talk is just walking past you to the front of the queue and having that conversation that you could be having or um, writing that scene that you could be writing and it's and and I really really believe in faking it until you make it. Um, mm. If you don't feel like you're good enough, we'll just keep going, and you will eventually feel like it. Yeah, I'm the same. I, I always say fake yeah. it till you make it, and, and it's true. Self worth does get in our way uh, at the best of times. Yes, yes, it does. So, what yes, are some other pain points that you go through when it comes to you know so exposing what you do? Um, uh, marketing you how do you what some of those pain points for you there um well one of the hardest things that I found when when fly and fly out my first novel came out um it did have a personal element to it and um I was going hell for leather and I didn't uh, with with publicity and things because it did have a personal element there was a domestic violence angle there was a bunch of stuff so I was talking about it in in public when I was doing a book tour and things like that and what I realized is that if if you're in public it's your job to maintain your boundaries because other people won't do that they will I had a lady, um, and this this was sort of like, if you want to say pain point, this was probably the most painful where I realized I need to pull back and I need to create a wall between my professional life and my personal. I was um, at a talk and it, and a lady was sitting in the audience and she just turned around and said, I don't think you'd be a good mum, just out of the blue. And she felt she could be comfortable saying that to me. Um, and we weren't even talking about anything to do with parents or anything. She just read my book that, and decided she didn't like me. And, um, and then she came up at the end of the talk and gave me a piece of paper and it had 32D written on it and she told me that's your bra size and walked off. And I thought, okay, this lady's clearly a little bit batty, eh? <laughs> Sorry, but, 
Aish is really batty and when I was and and the 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 battiest thing is because I was so drained that night and because she'd been so confrontational this whole talk and no one else in the audience had known what to do and in you know it only dawned on me afterwards that it was my job to shut her down and to build that wall and I, I didn't know how at the time um I was so drained she handed me this piece of paper and I just looked at it and went no it's not and then she turned around and started arguing with me. Uh. <laughs> and and I thought okay, this is this is a thing because with when you're a writer you're you're so private. Uh, you know, most of my days are on my own. I have a wonderful network of friends, but I've had to build that because um you're so on your own and then all of a sudden for a short period of every year or if you're putting books out more often, you are in the public eye. Mm. And it's changing gears so dramatically that you really need a toolbox and no publisher is ever going to give you that toolbox. They just chuck you out there. Um, or if you're self-pubbing, you're, you're on your own. So um, that was a real realization. I have to work out what my brand is, who I am, and just stick to that professionally so that I don't have another situation where someone feels comfortable enough to just enter into the conversation and say something that, that cruel a and b you know f- you know my boundaries are that that down that they've got the opening in the first place mm, and I, I i'm just going back to the start what you were saying how weird things happen to you how yeah uh, I, I i think that you know a that's quite funny but I, i'm also intrigued like how you know why she thinks that and uh what made her think about the bra size i think that's quite hilarious it's quite funny really when you think I about have- it I, it's hilarious, and I've turned it into a funny story, and I've, I'm relaying it as a serious story now. But it's yeah. usually my funny, silly story over a few drinks. But I, I think um, I know I make people comfortable. And this isn't putting tabs on myself, but I love people. I love mm. being around people. But the problem with that is, and I've had to learn, you've you've got to have a few boundaries because. Um, most people will hook into that and go, oh, well, you're, you're, you know, you're happy to be around, you're, you're nice to be around. But the people who are really needy or let's just say not, not very well at maintaining their own boundaries and maybe needing a little bit more from you are the ones you'll attract as well. And it's like they've got a little radar and you've got antennas up mm. that attract them. Um, so that's, that's been a real learning curve. Yeah, and I think that too, you know, I really believe that everything happens for a reason and they happen for us. And I think that, you know, when that, that, you, when we're looking at what you're, you know, when we're looking at what exactly you're talking about, what happened to you, you actually see that it happened for you because without that incident, you wouldn't have then have to create that wall, the boundaries between personal and, and, and social. So, you know, you've changed the way that you go about doing things. Oh, I'm really a firm believer in that every pile of manure a flower grows. Like it's, uh, (laughs) but you've got to, you got to water the pile of manure and actually have a bit of a look at it and go, come on, Mister Flower, you've got to come out of that. Something's got to come out of it. But I, I really think that, um, you know, if something and and the the thing about publishing is that it is mainly rejection. Like for and yeah. the same with acting, the same with most creative things. You'll get that one acceptance bit. Any anyone who's actually succeeded in this gig will tell you that they've probably got about two to three hundred rejections for yeah. every one acceptance. That's true. Very and, true. And 
And yep, and every one of those rejections, you've got to look at them and and maybe the lesson isn't I should improve because some rejections aren't about that. Some are maybe it's I should not take this as seriously as I'm taking it or maybe um, one of the lessons that I've learned with publishing um, and some of the rejections is that some people are just not nice people mm. and that was a hard one for me to work out I always try and look at the the best in people yeah. and sometimes you've just got to go oh well I don't need to worry about this because that person isn't a nice person otherwise they wouldn't have they wouldn't have framed things like that so mm. it, it's all about studying the situation and then learning from it mm. and you do as a writer you do have to have thick skin absolutely so oh um, yeah what do you that. think is the number one reason that most authors fail to succeed uh, they get disheartened and they don't realize it's a long game. So I think we're in a situation where if you Google being a writer or anything like that before you start, and I certainly did, um, you see all of these young writer success stories, you know, this person overnight success, they probably weren't. What mm. happens was that the publisher, it, it's a really great story for the publisher to market. Um what most people have to do is work hard at this for about 10 years before they really, really see success or at least five, five plus. And, and it's a lot of hard work. And, and I, I think people go into it with a dream, dreaming they'll write a book. I don't know anyone out there who's a writer or anyone who talks about writing in public will have had someone say to them, Oh yeah, I've, I've got a book I want to write. And, and it would be easy to be disdainful about that and think, well, you don't know how much work that involves. But it's it's also just the way writing is presented to the culture. You see in movies, a guy will be suddenly inspired and then he'll sit down and pen a book and it's perfect. That It doesn't show him revising the book about 50 times, an mm. editor coming back and saying, you have to rewrite that all over again, an agent saying, oh, we can't quite make that work for our market. Please tweak it all over again. You know, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's a lot harder than it's presented to the public. So I think that disheartens people. And if they can push past that, they usually really succeed. Yeah, and I, and I think too, it's true, it is a lot of work. I mean, my I just launched a book last year, but it took me three and a half years to write. Uh, and it's one of, of those. Course. It's yeah. one of those. That's of why when you said, "Oh, you do a couple of years," like, wow, that's amazing. Because for me, <laughs> it was you know, as I was writing it, my stuff was coming up, so it was it was very yep. healing. Yeah, 100%. but then yeah, your stuff yes. comes up, and it's like, well, I need to deal with this first before I can write anymore. Yep. Um, so it was 100%. it was amazing experience. Um, and then yeah. I, I just completed my second one over Christmas, but that took me three and a half weeks because I was determined that I, if I could do one in three and a half years, I could do one in three and a half weeks. So I blocked myself <laughs> out and I just did it. I was so, that was my intention and I did it. And I think it yeah. was, it was the first one taught me that don't, when this stuff comes up, let it flow through. Don't let it stop you. Just let it f flow through. Well, what I do, um, because uh, because with fiction, um, any writer who tells you that they're not inspired by themselves or the world around you is lying. Mm. There, there's always a part of you in your – it doesn't matter if it's fiction or nonfiction, but with fiction, um, stuff will come up, and if it doesn't apply to that book, I just literally put a pin in it. I write it down, and I will put it in a notebook, and it will be used in another book. So – 
if, um, for example, I've got a, a grandparent character and I'm sad about, for example, my husband's grandfather died and we were very close with him uh, two years ago when I was writing a book with a, a grandmother figure and that all came up and I could use that in the book. But it, uh, the, the next book I wrote, but the book I was writing at that point in time, it wasn't appropriate to use it. So I just put a pin in it and thought, okay, I will, I will use this and save it and use it in the next project. And emotion is not a bad thing when you're a writer. Emotion creates the really good stuff. Mm. If, and, and one of the things you, you have to learn if you're writing fiction is that if a scene feels dramatic to you as a writer, it's probably pretty bland mm. to the reader because they're not in your body feeling yeah. it. So you've got to amp it up. And the great thing about that is it teaches you that how much you internalize as opposed to show to the world. So I had to learn to really play up my my drama scenes because some of the feedback I was getting, it was, you know, I think this should be dramatic, but it doesn't feel it. And I'm thinking, well, it feels really dramatic inside me. Mm. And then they're saying, well, maybe you should show that on the page more. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, so it's getting it out on the page. So, Georgina, why romance? I mean, who's been, who influenced you or what influenced you to focus on romance? Um, it, it's, it's a, goes back to when I was 10, actually. So I grew up in less than ideal circumstances and, um, I, I was an avid reader from a very, very young age. Books were always an escape for me. Um, but then, uh, a family friend and my, my family were, were quite evangelical Christian. So, um, in the early days. So uh, a friend from church gave me a romance novel when I was 10 years old. And in retrospect, it was a completely inappropriate book to give a 10 year old girl. Uh, it was, it was very, very raunchy and racy, but the thing that really got me, um, the, the cycle in romance is that, um, you've got a heroine who has to go out and her situation, especially in the eighties romance novels in the nineties, the very early nineties ones, the heroine meets all kind of horrible adversity. Horrible things were done to that heroine before she kicked ass and saved the day. And she got the guy on her own terms. So she got him to meet her halfway. And there was something really healing about that to read, um, watching my parents in a dysfunctional relationship, being constrained by conservative Christianity, um, having this healthy sort of depiction of a sex b relationships in the long run and and a really empowered woman and it, it stuck with me and I never I never actually when I sat down in Saudi I thought I was going to write an espionage novel I thought that was going to be it you know I'd left romance in my teens and I thought well you know I've I've done a I've done a, a degree in literature. I don't need to do any of this romance stuff. I'd, I'd spent years snubbing and disowning it. But a romance novel is what kept coming out. Mm. And, um, and, and that tends to happen with people. If you sit down and write, you think you know what you want to write, especially with fiction, and you'll find that your brain goes, no, this is the genre you actually really like or this is, this is the thing that you do. It's, there is a subconscious process at work there. Absolutely. So, Georgina, do you uh, allow the writing to flow through or do you map it all out first and then write? <laughs> I'm a pantser. So I'm uh, – you'd know the term pantser means you just wig it by the seat of your pants. I start with characters. So I'm 100% character-driven. 
Um, but I am very lucky in that my husband and I have a bit of a partnership in that he's, he's a science fiction fantasy reader. He's an avid reader as well. And he monitors my plot. So he reads stuff as I'm writing. And usually my characters will happily create all the conflict I need and all the points I need. And the great thing about writing in a genre is you know the beats. The beats in your book are pretty set. You've got to have your your big drama at some stage or what is called your black spot before your hero and heroine work it out at the end. You've got you've got all of that there. But he comes in and he's like, oh, they're, they're probably talking a little bit too much. You've got to have some more action. So I've got him there for me. Um, but largely it's my characters writing the story on the day. What a great partnership. I think that's awesome. So yeah, what, we, what we do, Georgina, as uh, we do every with every woman of inspiration, we always ask them to pick one word that best describes their personal brand. So what would be that one word for you? Oh, you know, you've got me at a blank right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm, it's first thing in the morning. Um, this morning, my word would be tenacious. <laughs> tenacious, I love it. <laughs> um, I think I think that's what I'll say this morning. That's okay. how I'm feeling. Oh, you've got to go with how you're feeling. <laughs> Absolutely. Tenacious. Hey, may I ask why? Um, mainly because... It's it's a survival thing with this industry and you've got to stick with it. Yeah. I mean I've got I've literally got on my wall up here, um, my my personal philosophy is do the effing work and it's written up on my wall. It doesn't matter if I'm having a bad day or a good day or I have the flu or if it's sunny outside. It's just do the work. Yep. And yeah, and I up. guess that fits in. Yeah. Show yep, up you every show day. Up. Yep, every day. Even if you don't yep. feel like it, I get like that sometimes. You just gotta show up. Yeah, you got to show up and you'll feel like it halfway through the day by the time you, you get going. Absolutely. So the other thing we do as we wrap up the show, we always ask our woman of inspiration to leave us with three shiny golden nuggets for our listeners. So what would be three golden nuggets that you would like to leave for our <sighs> listeners today? Um, okay, I, I know I know I've um, communicated with you what I wrote down uh, before our <laughs> podcast, but honestly, I can't remember what I put down. So I might I might wing it because it's um, one is always always see every interaction that you have as a positive one that will reflect on you later. So if you're going to be a writer, um, every single person you're around, there's um, will that that will re your behavior will reflect back on you so if you're nice and you're a good person to be around people will say oh yeah you know so and so was a writer and they were really nice and I tend to read books I don't know about you I tend to read books that are recommended to me mm. so I've had books recommended from from someone who's gone to a conference so that that's really big um and that falls into be nice to your editors, agents, publishers, um, anyone who rejects you. Be nice. Like you don't have to be a doormat, but just respect respect that it's a very small industry. And in general, just respect that, you know, any industry is a small industry and that people will talk and things will always get around. If if you're horrible to someone, it'll get around. But if you're nice to someone, it'll get around that you're easy to work with. So that's one. Um, I think the don't assume thing is is major. Like that's that's one of my biggest ones. Mm. And and I think maybe the third one um, falls into yeah, just 
do the work, like really every day just do the work and know that you can do it. And if you work really hard and aren't, and, and take criticism well, that's really important. So with the, being a writer, a lot of writers actually hooking back to, to what we were talking about earlier, uh, why do they fall by the wayside? A lot of people, they get their ego hurt and they don't realize that a huge part of this gig is being really humble because you've got, it's not down to what you think is a good book. It's down to what your readers in the end think is a good book. And if no one's buying your book or if you're getting a lot of criticism, it, it's not their fault. <laughs> it just mm. means you've got to rejig and, you know, work with it. And, and um, yeah, so it's basically just just uh, taking criticism and, and knowing when criticism is needs to be taken and knowing when to discard it. So, I, yeah, I, I guess that's that would be it. I like it. And it's all feedback at the end of the day, isn't it, really? It's about, you know, if you look at it, it's feedback, great. Thank you for the feedback. Then I know what I need to do to yeah. make it look or feel better, whatever that may be. So, Georgina, yeah, how, yeah. Ooh, how can our listeners find you? Okay. Um, you can easily find me at georginapenny.com. Um, I'm on Twitter. Um, I do have an Instagram page, but you'll I, and I do try and update it. But you'll probably just find pictures of the Scottish countryside. My cat there. They're all at Georgina Penny. So my Twitter is 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 at Georgina Penny. Facebook is at Georgina Penny, and it's Penny with an E Y at the end. P E N N E Y. Thank you so so much for your time and energy for getting up so early in the morning for for us to <laughs> finally connect after all this time. And uh, I'm sure no um, you're going to enjoy the snow in Scotland with a hot cup of tea. No worries. Thank you. Well, I, I certainly will. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. That brings us to the end of the show. If you have any questions, please send us an email to jennifer at iamwomanproject.com dot com dot au or twitter at i am woman project and we will get right back to you if you were listening to this podcast on itunes please make sure you leave a review or rating about the show we would love to hear your thoughts that's it for now thanks for listening until next time please take care